This is an ABC podcast. Women's sport in Australia right now is absolutely flying. The national cricket team, all conquering. Women's BBL, record ratings. AFLW has gone from non-existent to an 18-team competition in eight seasons. The NRLW is growing. Did you catch Lauren Jackson's comeback story with the Opals? One of the best stories of last year. The Matildas, well, they're about to host the Women's World Cup and are an outside chance of contending to win the thing. Steph Gilmore just won her eighth world title. Our female swimmers, they were perhaps the brightest spot of the Tokyo Games. Has there been a better story in recent years than Ash Barty's comeback? and blissful retirement. Women's sport, it's flying. On International Women's Day, we'll see lots of celebration about that fact. Yet in the darker corners of society, mostly the internet, some will rail against that focus, which is probably why it's never been more important to recognise how far women's sport has come in this country but how far there is still to go. At times today, I'll role-play devil's advocate. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Tracy Holmes is a senior reporter for ABC Sport and host of the podcast, The Ticket. There's a link to her program in the show notes. Tracy, I'm going to play devil's advocate today. It's going to feel grubby, but I'm going to have to channel those dark voices of social media. Let's get into it. Tracy, you're always telling me about how strong women's sport is, how the revolution's here. So if it's all gravy, why are we indulging in sports virtue signalling? Look, I don't virtue signal at all, Patrick. You should know me much better than that. You know, it's interesting. And in fact, whenever these sorts of days roll around, I'm always very cautious because I do ask myself, do we still need this? What's going on? Let's have a look at the landscape. And I can remember back in 1989 when I first started as a broadcast trainee at the ABC and I can see that a lot has changed. And then you start adding up the maths and you start looking across the board and you start looking at, you know, the sports sector as a whole and you go, you know what, in nearly 40 years, there is so much further we should have gone by now. So one of the things that, you know, I always like to point out is when you look at something like, let's say the Women's World Cup, which is coming up in a few months time, and you look at the prize money that's distributed among the 32 nations participating in the Women's World Cup, there's going to be about $100 million spread out through all of those teams in prize money. That's fantastic. It's more than double what was paid at the last Women's World Cup. But let's look, have a look at that compared to the Men's World Cup and say, oh, right, so the Socceroos, who finished, what, equal ninth, was it, will end up with more prize money than if the Matildas win at home. And this has been borne out when you look at somewhere like the USA and the American women's football team is just phenomenal. They've been number one for what seems like forever. They've won the last two Women's World Cups. For the fourth time, the United States of America are crown champions of the world and for the very first time they've done it on European soil. It is finished at the Stade de Lyon in the final in victory and joy for the United States. They have revenue sharing and all the prize money goes into a pot and it's split equally across the men and the women. They will get $6.5 million for the men finishing ninth as opposed to the $4 million and $2 million, so only $6 million that they got for winning the last two World Cups. There's a long way to go, Patrick. As I continue to wear the black hat, Tracy, those who disagree with you would say that disparity is simply a reflection of interest, that the free market tells you exactly what the market values. And I can't believe I'm basically quoting the comment section from social media, but hey, what would you say to those who have that line of thinking? 
I wouldn't even be bothered answering mostly because that argument is so old and so been tested in so many different forums. Fatma Samura, who is the Secretary General of FIFA, probably the most powerful woman in world sport, she was saying a few months back that this is the first time they've actually had sponsors approaching FIFA specifically to sponsor the Women's World Cup, not the men's. So this is where you start to see the shift. And and that line, really, I, I get that, you know, men's sport has been bringing in all of the broadcast fees, but that's because there was only a men's competition. Only the men's game is promoted. Only the men have the luxury, I suppose, to be able to do these careers, uh, athletic pursuits as a full-time professional with all of the stuff thrown around them. They get the medical equipment, they get the, the extra coaching facilities, The men have always had it. The women are lucky if they get dressing rooms at half the grounds that they play at. When you start talking about, oh, but it doesn't bring in the money, well, it's not a chicken and egg scenario. It's the whole thing together. And once you start promoting the rest of it, you see money does start actually rolling in for women's events. Look at what's happening in India at the moment with the Women's Premier League. I mean, that is phenomenal. Big down the ground. Making a mockery of the boundary rope. It doesn't matter where you put the boundary rope. That was six anywhere. From Jess Jonathan. They got more money for the broadcast rights for this three-week women's tournament than they did when they first launched the IPL for men, which was, you know, granted 10 years ago. But that just shows that the potential is there for it to be very, very equal. You can only harvest crops that you bother to grow, I suppose. And if we're looking at further growth in women's sport... It's going to be interesting to see in Australia who is going to be pushing the change, Tracy. And you've compiled a list of the most influential women in sport in Australia. And as important as administrators are, and we'll get to them, no one has perhaps more cut through than a star athlete. And no one fits that bill more than Matilda Sam Kerr. Why is she so crucial to women's sport in Australia? I also don't necessarily buy into the fact that it's, you know, the athletes that are changing the landscape. I mean, obviously, when you've got a figure like Sam Kerr, who has made the list um, that I've put out today, you're talking about all sorts of other things that you might not necessarily hear about. So clearly, she's got cut through as, you know, Australia's first ever female marquee player. And that's great. But to make a list of influence... I think you need to use your leadership and use your skills in a way that is going to change things for more people than yourself. And she does that. Like, she's a leader by example. Um, She's straight talking. You know, there was a lot of critics talking about us, but we're back, so suck on that one. (laughs) She's managed to bring what had been a pretty divided team together. Uh, She gets on with the job. But I think more broadly speaking, if you go to a game where the Matildas are playing or even where they're not playing, sometimes you can go to a Socceroos game and you see girls, boys, men and women walking around with Australia shirts on with Kerr written on their back. Now, that is real cut through and that is really influencing groups of people that, you know, sometimes women's sport has not been able to influence in the past. Uh, and, of course, her going on and performing so well overseas. Chelsea have been the more likely team to score. Sam Kerr makes her way through, looks to dance and get the shot away. Oh, it's a brilliant goal from Sam Kerr. That is just what she does. And Sam Kerr puts Chelsea in the lead before half-time. You wrap all of that up and, and she's a person of influence and substance um, that will no doubt go on and use uh, her skills and her leadership abilities in the future. If 
Kerr can be the on-field spark for an off-field fire. Who's going to be crucial to the growth of women's sport from a leadership and administration point of view, Tracy? For a start, I put um, one of the first people on my list is Annika Wells, the sports minister. Here is a, a young Australian politician. Uh, she's got a young family. Uh, she's juggling two incredibly demanding portfolios. Sport and aged care. We know about the aged care because of what has happened with the COVID crisis. And she's juggling sport. Now, you look at sport and you think about all the things that we've got coming up over the next decade, building towards uh, the 2032 Brisbane Paralympic and Olympic Games. She sits on that board. We need to show up and take our seat at the table again because it's important to show up and have the discussion. So that's what we're doing. We're showing up. We're being part of the discussion. She has a seat at the uh, Executive Commission, which runs or or basically supervises WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency. She also has oversight over the Australian Sports Commission and all funding for sport in this country. And then she also has Sport Integrity Australia as one of those other aspects in her basket. Now, that influence is huge. That is really setting the direction of where sport in this country will go over the next, you know, 10 years. She might not still be around in 10 years as the sports minister, but she's making decisions now for what will happen in that period. She's just one of another 10 influential women you've listed on your list. Who else stands out for you? One I'd really like to mention is Sharon Burrow, because that name might not ring a lot of bells in sport in Australia. And yet this is a woman who came up through the unions. She went on to be the head of the International Trade Union Council, which was based in Switzerland. She's only just stood down from that. But she is the person who who I would say more than any other, and perhaps you can pile a whole lot of people together, that changed the nature and culture of Qatar ahead of the FIFA Men's World Cup. The Qatari reform of the labour laws has been remarkable. I was indeed uh, considered an enemy of Qatar for about five years while we ran a campaign. She went in there and said, listen, your labour rights are just not up to standard. And they listened to her. So she had cut through in a way that very few other people have had. If we consider the growth that's been achieved in the last decade, I mean, you look at the development, particularly around domestic competitions in Australia, there's been fabulous growth. We've seen also us, you know, being excellent on an international stage, whether it's the Matildas, whether it's our exceptional Olympic swimmers. Where does the biggest growth need to come in the next 10 years as we sort of work towards eventually hosting an Olympic Games in Brisbane? Well, look, you know, when you look at an Olympic Games or a Commonwealth Games, it's really fabulous that pretty much we've reached gender parity when it comes to members of the team for Australia. Every time they march out in one of these major events, it's almost 50-50, you know, which is a great achievement. But you don't have to look very much further. You go, okay, let's have a look at the coaches. Oh, right, around 15% of female. Uh, And then let's have a look at, you know, senior management positions. And you go, oh, okay, so of 46 national sporting bodies in the country, uh, you're talking about nine CEOs who are women. When you look at boards, we know we still celebrate every time a woman is appointed to a board. But the fact that we still celebrate that means there's still a long way to go because it should just be normal. And while those things are becoming more normalised, they're still nowhere near where they need to be. And unfortunately, Patrick, that means sometimes people like you need to move over. (laughs) 
Okay. Well, uh, that, wrapping up, this will be our last ABC Sport Today Week podcast. Tracy, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Headlines. If you thought the pitch situation was let's say, unusual in the third test between India and Australia. Things have once again ratcheted up in Ahmedabad ahead of the final fixture in the Border Gavaskar Trophy. Curators have prepared at least two, maybe three wickets for the home side to choose from for the fourth test. The spicy indoor deck resulted in a surprise Australian win, so it seems officials have prepared a pitch buffet to ensure maximum choice for the hosts. Make sure you catch every ball live on the listener. This promises to be an enthralling fixture. Australia's women are thriving in the Women's Premier League in India. Meg Lanning scored 70 from 42 deliveries as the Delhi Capitals beat the UP Warriors. Talia McGrath was brilliant for the Warriors. She made 90 from 50 balls. Jess Jonathan was the player of the match though. 42 from 20 with the bat and three wickets with the ball for the Capitals. And in the National Rugby League, Cronulla forward Wade Graham has been suspended for four games after a fierce shot on David Moale in the Sharks' round one loss to the South Sydney Rabbitohs. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Poppy Penny. There are links to Tracy's top 10 influential women piece in the show notes, as well as her podcast landing page. Thanks to the WPL, FIFA, SBS and DAZN for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.